Stephen Scott is a New York Times bestselling author, an entrepreneur, and a life coach. He's known for his infomercials and his books, including The Richest Man Who Ever Lived. He's built more than a dozen multi-million dollar companies using strategies that he learned from the Bible. He's now sharing those principles with international audiences. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us oh, on Takeaways. What a joy and pleasure, thanks. <clears throat> I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated. I love the book of Proverbs. Uh, my pastor friend challenged me also to read a proverb a day, and um, I've been loving this. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people go through the Bible and they sort of cherry pick passages or verses and wondering if I should just stick with a plan or read a book or, or whatever. Um, but these principles that you're talking about First of all, it completely changed your career trajectory. Right. Uh, I think if I understand, you went from m making $18,000 a year to $7 million. Yeah. Uh, how did that happen? Uh, Proverbs. I learned 15 strategies from the book of Proverbs that changed everything. For example, one of those strategies says, uh, uh, the heart of a wise man trains his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. So the strategy has become an effective and persuasive communicator. Well, I had the world's best mentor, Gary Smalley, in the communication area, so mm -hmm. I went to Gary and said, okay, Gary, what do you do that makes you so compelling when you speak? And he shared with me four communication techniques. Uh, then I started our little business in 1976, and using those communication techniques, I generated 40 million phone calls, billions of dollars in sales. So if I didn't know those communication techniques, the wow. companies I built would be non-existent. And uh, one of them is how do you get somebody's undivided attention? Uh, whenever we start, enter a conversation, and this is in, at home, this is in the marriage, you know, the wife or the husband starts to talk, guess what? The other person's mind is somewhere else. It has to be brought into the moment that we're in. How do we do that? Well, uh, we call it hooking, like fish hook, right? Fish is swimming around, going wherever he wants to go, sees a little piece of food, grabs it, now where is he going? right to where the fisherman wants him to go, into the basket. Okay, so you have three types of hooks, and we get into those in the book, Richest Man Who Ever Lived, but uh, one type is a strong statement. For example, uh, ladies, if you tell your husband, I'm leaving you, I'm done with you, I can't stand you, that's a strong statement, you'll have their undivided attention. <laughs> right. Okay, but better than that is a uh, specific question. Kirk, if I said, how are you doing? You might, your mind might be on something your, mom, your wife said. I say, how are you doing? You can say, fine, and never come into the moment. But if I say, Kurt, what did you have for lunch today? Well, I had a Cobb salad, if okay. you must know. Now, did you, I hope the audience saw your eye movement. I said, what did you have for lunch? And your eye goes, see, now you're into my moment. Wherever you were before that, you're now precisely into that moment with me. I have your undivided attention. And the specific question doesn't have to have any relevance to what you're gonna talk about. It's just to bring in their attention. Mm. Now the second problem you have is attention span. A woman has an attention span of seven to 12 minutes. A man or a child has an attention span of 30 to 60 seconds, okay? <laughs> so now I've got your undivided attention, but how am I gonna bring it back? You don't wanna try to keep it level the whole time. I don't have to keep you on the edge of your seat the whole time we're communicating. But whenever I'm gonna make an important point, I need to bring your attention span back up. And we do that with a technique called salting. 
And uh, salting is making the person curious about what you're going to say before you say it. For example, in the book, uh, on, in the chapter, chapter four on hope, uh, let me just diverge a little bit. People have a wrong conception of hope. They think hope is like a wish. Oh, I hope my husband's happy with me tonight. I hope my wife isn't still mad at me from this morning. I hope my boss gives me a raise. Uh, I hope uh, I'm not put under by these oil prices. Those aren't hopes. Those are wishes. And wishes are like clouds. They come and they go. And they don't give us anything. Sometimes rain, sometimes not. But that's it. Hmm. Hope, if you took every verse in the Bible, you'd probably come up with this definition. Hope is the well-founded, confident belief that that which is promised, pursued, or committed will be attained or acquired or achieved within a specific amount of time. That's why as believers in Christ, if we want hope, we have to be in Jesus' words. Why? Because they're solid. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, mm. but my words will never pass away. They're more solid than the earth that everybody's trying to save. Hey, Jesus' words are better. They're more solid. Yeah. Okay? So hope, the well-founded, confident belief that that which is promised, pursued, or committed will be achieved within a specific amount of time. That's true hope. What's our foundation? Our foundation is in Christ, God's word, Christ's words. It's as solid as rock. And as we experience it, we add our experience to that solidness. So we have a well-founded, confident belief that that which Christ promises, he'll deliver. Um, so going back, we now have to bring your attention back to what we're saying, right? Because the attention right. span goes down. We're talking about salting. So we do it with salt. For example, I'll tell... Uh, when I have a large audience, I'll tell the women, you know, there's a man, every man has three great needs. Every woman has four great needs. Proverbs teaches hope deferred or put off, procrastinate. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Well, when the heart gets sick, it starts a cycle of six things. Number one, first you lose your energy. Then you lose your creativity. Then you lose your productivity. Then you lose your motivation then you lose your trust, then you lose your commitment. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We defer the hopes of our children so often. We defer the mm. hopes of our spouse so often. Heart gets sick, that's the pattern, and it's a downward pattern. Well, Solomon tells, tells us how to bring it right back up. He said, but desire accomplished, it's a tree of life. So it not only brings life to the person, they become a tree of life that gives hope and joy and and everything to the people around them. Now we get to the most powerful one. And this is what bridges the communication gap between a man and a woman. Mm. Uh, most men, about 90%, are left brain dominant. That means analytical, problem solvers, uh, give me the facts so I can do something about it. Uh, women, on the other hand, 90%, are right brain dominant. Feelings, visual. A um, uh, husband says, well, tell me how you feel about that. A woman can do it in a second, but a wife says, tell me about how you feel about something, and the guy goes, okay, I guess, right? Because we're not that in touch with our feelings. So we need a communication technique that bridges the gap between male and female. Now, of the 40 million phone calls I've generated, about 75% are female. So I had to make sure that my celebrity endorsers were bridging that gap. And so the communication technique for that is called emotional word pictures. 
And Jesus was the best at using them. All of his parables, when he said, mm. I am the bread of life, when he said, I am the light of the world, when he tells the woman at the well, uh, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, flowing water. Word pictures that evoke yes. emotion. Yes. Now that's the most powerful communication technique you can use, but it's a, it's a skill set. And my kids were good at that skill set before they went into high school even. So anybody can learn the skill set, and that's one of the things we teach in that, in that book. In this book, The Richest Man Who Ever Lived, uh, we're talking about Solomon, and we're talking about the book of Proverbs. Uh, he's often thought of as the wisest man that ever lived. Mm -hmm. Why do you call him the richest man? Well, because he was. In, in today's dollars, he would have been a trillionaire. I'm sure we're gonna have one someday, but we don't have one yet. And he articulated wisdom, he wrote wisdom, but he became foolish in his life, and he lost, he lost all of God's respect. God makes these uh, wonderful promises in Proverbs. He says, if you do this, he gives us laws of life, mm. okay? He says, you do this, here's the blessing. You don't do this, here's what you're gonna end up with. And Solomon, and the one that God rails about the most, and Solomon even discusses the most, is pride. Pride, it says, pride will tear down the house of, the, of, mm. of, of a person. You'll lose your family, everything. Uh, you'll lose your respect of people in authority. All of these things God brings crashing down with pride. Solomon knew that, he wrote about it because he was inspired to write about it, but then he violated it. Mm. So when I, have, when I have followed Solomon's principles, for example, Solomon teaches how to, how to effectively partner. When we effectively partner, we take the ceiling off of opportunity. There's no ceiling when you effectively partner. Yeah. But most partnerships are ineffective, so what they do, they accelerate failure. Well, Solomon tells us how to effectively partner so we don't ineffectively. I have made a fortune, millions and millions and millions of dollars by effectively partnering, and I've lost millions and millions and millions of dollars through ineffective partnering. So. And it, the difference is, am I gonna bring my partnering in line with what Proverbs tells me, yeah. or am I gonna be contrary to Proverbs? Stephen, what are the principles for finding a good partner? I've been in partnerships that have gone south. Mm -hmm. what, what, what's the lesson that I need to learn okay, from Proverbs? Okay, number one, in the partnership chapter in the book, he gives seven red flags. If you see any of those red flags in a partner, uh, for example, if he's given to anger, if he has a temper, don't partner with him. Uh, if he doesn't pay attention to authority, don't partner with him. He'll, he'll get you thrown in jail, basically, when, they, when boundaries mm. and authority doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Do you, ha you said you had three daughters. Yes. Okay, two of these red flags identify someone who's gonna become a domestic abuser. So you need to teach your daughters these seven red flags. The two that identify abuser are they don't pay attention to rules and they're given to anger, meaning that they have a temper that goes out of control, not yeah. just once in a while. It doesn't mean they're angry all the time, but it means when they lose it, yeah. they really use it. Run away, run away, run away. Now what happens is our emotions and heart gets in the way, and so we end up in, in relationships that bring about domestic abuse, and it's terrible. Mm. And, and what, what, what chapter of Proverbs is that in, if I wanna find those seven, or, or chapter in the it's, book? It's throughout. The chapter in the book, there's one, and it's, it's, I think it's called uh, The Great Accelerator. 
And because partnering, effective partnering accelerates your success. And, uh, and it'll be in the chapter on partnering. Um, I, I heard that you studied the lives of successful people. Did you find that successful people, whether they were members of the family of faith or not, uh, that they followed Solomon's principles? Without knowing it. Okay, for example, one of Solomon's principles, he redefines diligence. We think diligence is just hard work. It's not. To be diligent, you have to have eight things, one of which is effective partnering. You can't be diligent and not partner, sorry. And people think, oh, I can be diligent and not partner. No, you can't, not by Solomon's definition of diligence. So chapter mm. two of the book is based on, on this proverb. There's about 12 proverbs on diligence. Amazing, it tells you the consequences of not being diligent mm. and the blessings of being diligent. But it says, the one we start out with, I think it's Proverbs 2.29, um, Solomon said, uh, do you see a man diligent in his business? He will stand before kings. I've been with presidents of the United States. I've been on Larry King Live. He's the only king I've ever known. And, uh, but it's because of diligence. Now, when it comes to the spiritual side, like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, everybody's favorite, trust in the Lord with all your heart and not under your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your paths. That's meant for the household of faith. Doesn't matter. Nobody other than a believer can see that one in their mm -hmm. life. But others are like the law of gravity. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or an atheist, you drop a ball, it'll always fall because of the law of gravity. You be diligent whether you're a believer or not, you're going to see levels of success and attainment that you haven't seen before. This is fascinating. After the break, we're gonna dig deeper into Solomon's principles, which Stephen documented in his book, The Richest Man Who Ever Lived. We're back with Stephen Scott discussing success principles from his book, The Richest Man Who Ever Lived. Stephen, from Solomon's point of view, what is, what is the value of vision and hope? You talk about vision mapping. Yes. How, do, how do we get vision and hope for our top priorities? Hey, he said, without a vision, the people perish. Hmm. So we can take the converse of that. With vision comes new life. Now, when you go into a marriage relationship, for example, the husband has a vision. We'll say that's here. The wife has a vision. They think their vision is gonna be achieved in their marriage because in courtship, they get closer and closer. They get married, honeymoon's over, and boom, they're back out here. They don't know what happened. They've lost their vision, okay? Or they never had a vision in the first place. So what we teach in, in that uh, is how to bring vision. Every project I did, I did over a 1,000 projects when I was in television. And every one, it would start with end result, where I wanna be, just picture a Google map, where you're going, right? Yeah. Where you are right now. Now, how do I map that out that I get from here to there? Well, I break it down first into general goals. Okay, if I'm going to accomplish this, here's my goals. I have to do that. Now, each goal, I need to break into specific, tangible mm. steps of action. And then if a step of action requires more than two things, if it's complex rather than simple, then I need specific tasks. So I would go ahead and I would break it down break the vision into goals, into steps, into tasks, and then you put dates on them. And that way I was able to accomplish with a, basically I had a marketing department of, of three of us, four of us, and we would accomplish more in a year than our biggest competitor who had a marketing department of 150 people. 
That's the power of a vision map. Well, when you vision map, and you don't vision map everything. Like I, I, I took up skiing at 41 because I wanted to ski with my wife and she was a great skier and I was worthless. And uh, I, my vision wasn't becoming a good skier. My vision was being able to go up on the chairlift with her, go down the run she wants to go on and not kill myself, okay? Good vision. Yeah, real simple. And so I did that, I never, but I never wanted to compete. My son, on the other hand, was a high jumper. And uh, he wanted to be, as any little kid, he wanted to be the national champion. So uh, we got him a good coach and um, uh, she laid out a vision map where he had to be each step of the way. His food, his, she was a three-time Olympian, but his, what his diet would consist of, the number of workouts he would do each week, the number of training workouts he would do each week, what he needed to accomplish. And she said, if you do everything I say, you can be a national champion because you have the talent. He had taken 20th in the nation the year before. Well, in one year, he went from 20th to the national champion in high school. One year because of a vision map and staying to that vision map. That's the importance. Mm. You can apply vision mapping to anything. Yeah. And I happen to apply it to my projects at work. I have a, a company called NUMI, N-E-U-M-I if you want to look it up. And we're a biotech company and we've developed... Uh, the biggest breakthrough in the application of what's called nanotechnology, which allows nutrients to become more bioavailable and utilized. Yeah. And we've done it in record time. And we, we did it because we had a vision map and everybody that was working with me signed on to that vision map. Uh, Proverbs 16.16 says that we should pursue wisdom above knowledge and understanding. Right. We can all agree that those are three things we want. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding. What's the critical difference between those three? Understanding, I see how things work. Okay. Okay. Knowledge is one step further. Okay, I see how they work. What are the principles underneath it that make it work? Okay, so let's take aerodynamics. Okay, we know a plane has wings. Why does it lift off the ground? How does the weight transfer on the ground? The the fuselage is holding up the wings, right? Mm -hmm. But once it's airborne, as soon as those wheels are off the ground, now the wings are supporting the fuselage. There's a Mm. big, huge weight transfer. How come the wings don't fall off? See, well, we we understand the law of aerodynamics, but now we get a knowledge of weight transfer and other things that go with it. So that's knowledge. Wisdom is how do I apply the knowledge to the specific things that I need to get done. So we wanna break the sound barrier in a jet. We get a great pilot named Chuck Yeager. We put him in the cockpit. Uh, Instead of a jet engine, we try almost a little rocket. A rocket engine? Yeah. And uh, he goes ahead and he breaks the sound barrier, but it brought all those. So wisdom is the application. And Solomon was great at applying what he had articulated when he was young. He was horrible at it when he got older. His pride got in the way Mm. and his whole house collapsed. And that's typical. I've known a lot of guys that start out with humility. They gain tremendous success and all humility is gone. And when humility is gone, God dedicates himself to bring down the proud. Do you want God to bring you down, Mm. brother? Pride comes before the fall. Yeah, but he also says he he destroys the house of the proud. Mm. See, you treasure your family above anything else, don't you? Yeah. Okay. So you want to protect that family, right? Right. So you want to stay humble. 
And that's why it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you. Let him exalt you. You don't need to exalt yourself. You talk about Solomon giving advice on the factors that can wreck a business and mm-hmm. wreck a relationship. Uh, what, what are those? I think we spoke about pride. Yeah. Is there more? Oh, yeah. Communication techniques. Uh, uh, for example, a soft answer turned away wrath. Mm. But wrath, uh, uh, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Mm. And what do we do? I've done that a few times. Yeah, no, it escalates <laughs> until the argument's not even about the argument. Men can compartmentalize. We have a bad argument with our spouse. We put it in the back of our mind. But our spouse, a woman, if I poured Coca-Cola into this glass of water, it would turn brown. Guess what? You can't get the brown out. Yeah. It becomes one with the water. That's the spirit of a woman. So with our words, we can either lift people up, says the power of the tongue is life and death. We can bring death to a relationship just with our words. Yeah. I think this is interesting. You, you talk about the single biggest cause of financial loss yes. in businesses. Yes. What's that? Greed. Greed. We all have Harvard seeds of greed. talks a lot about greed. Yeah. Yeah. We all have seeds of greed. Anybody that doesn't think they have seeds of greed... They, they don't know their heart. The reason I wear a black shirt when I minister, this is the human heart without Christ. Nothing can turn this white. You, I could offer a billion dollars today to anybody that could turn this black shirt white. They can't do it. But in God's miraculous grace, he takes this black heart and turns it white. I, I just can't even imagine. You know, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Can you point us to some great resources for people who are looking to find some great business partners, to network with other good people? There's a book I wrote, Mentored by a Millionaire. It gives specific steps to take. When How do you identify the need for a partner? Because that's the first step. You have to learn your own weaknesses because you don't want to partner with someone who's strong where you're strong. You want to partner with someone who's strong where you're weak. I'm what's called a lion. So I want to get things done on time. I partnered with a producer who's a perfectionist. So I would keep us on time, and he would keep things looking, sounding, feeling good on the set. Mm. That's a partnership. So the first step is knowing yourself, and we show you how to, we give you a little personality test that shows you what your strengths and weaknesses are. And then we show you specific steps to identify potential partners and then how to recruit them. And once they're recruited, the last step in effective partnering is utilization. If I recruit you because you have a gift here, but then I never let you exercise that gift, that's terrible utilization. We show you how to motivate with honor and love instead of fear. Thank you. Uh, this, is, this is fascinating. Uh, these principles just coming from Solomon, the, the wisest man in the world, the richest man on earth. Uh, and I can't wait to see what happens when we start putting these things into work. So if you haven't checked out these books and these resources, uh, I recommend that you do. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show. 